you realize that you and I have absolutely no foundation to stand on if we are not standing on the foundation of the Word of God. Bernard Ram, let me see if I've got this right. You may see this on your screen. The Christian church has always prized its book as unique. The church family has treasured this book like an expensive jewel, even in the face of adversity and opposition from unbelievers. This book has separated Christians from non-Christians. It has divided Believers from unbelievers, the church, orthodox, and heretics, Protestants and Catholics, and in recent times, conservatives and liberals. It is not just another ancient book. It stands above all other books because this book is the Word of God. I don't know how you approach the Scripture when you spend time in it every day. When I open this book called the Bible, I am in awe that God condescended to speak the language that I know and to encourage someone to translate this book so that I could understand God's will for my life. There's some things we need to know about this book that makes it very, very unique. And what we are going to do is we are going to compare this book called the Bible with other ancient writings. And in doing that, we are going to see that this book stands above every other book that you and I could ever pick up. Just notice this. There are ancient classics that are accepted the world over as unquestionably, historically, I don't know if I can use two L-Y words next to each other, but I did, unquestionably and historically accurate. One of those is Caesar's Gaelic Wars. Caesar's Gaelic Wars is written in 100 BC, and you have to travel 1,000 years into the future in order to find the earliest, or what you and I would say, the oldest manuscript available for us to read. Now, Caesar's Gaelic Wars is accepted the world over, unquestioned, and historically accurate. Yet, from the time it was written to the copy that we have available to us today, there is a thousand-year gap. Yet, nobody questions it. Not one. Why? Why is this book Caesar's Gaelic Wars accepted the world over. We're going to be discussing this a little bit more. The next that you are going to see there is Herodotus' history. Herodotus' history is written in 400 B.C. You and I have to travel all the way down to A.D. 1300 to get the oldest manuscript available to us. If we want to read Herodotus' history, then you and I are going to read a document that was written all the way back over here. In what year did we say? In 400 B.C. So if I take 400 B.C. and I travel down to the year 1 B.C. and then 1 A.D. and then I travel into the future another 1,300 years, then you and I have an unquestioned historical document that has accepted the world over. Do the math with me. I'm over here in, what do we say, 1,400 
A.D., is that right? Is that what I said? My screen went blank, so it's going to come back up here in just a minute, I'm sure. All the way back from 400 to 1300, what's the time span there? What's the time span? Seven, somebody said one time, 1,699 years. (laughs) 1,700 years. And it is accepted, it is unquestioned. People accept it as historically accurate. The next item that you were going to see there, maybe, maybe I could hand this off to somebody else, is I told you if it doesn't work, it doesn't, we don't preach. And you thought I was kidding? Oh, look at there. Tacitus Annals. Tacitus Annals is written in A.D. 100, and the oldest manuscript available to us dates to A.D. 1100. There is another thousand-year gap between when it is authored and when you and I have a manuscript available to us to read. Now, all of these have over a thousand-year gap. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to question them a little bit? I mean, couldn't something, something be missing between when it is written and when you and I are now reading it? Couldn't something be missing? Yet it is accepted as historically accurate. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and we are going to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Somebody said, sure, let's hear more about your chickens. Well, you make sure you come to my class. I'll tell you lots of stuff. No. No, no, no stories about chickens in class, or not a lot anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible reads like this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. How is it in your life? You know, when when we give Bible studies, it's pretty fun because the very first Bible study that I give is a Bible study that proves, uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt in my mind anyway, that the Bible is an accurate document. Here the Bible says that there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine means doctrine that is thoroughly vetted out. There's there's no holes in it. You can see it. It is believable because it is right there in this book called the Bible. Yet it is said here that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. How is it with you in your life? When the Bible contradicts the way that you are currently living, do you follow sound doctrine? Turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter... No, let's stay in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says this. The Bible reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And those of you that give Bible studies, you know what this verse says. It says it is profitable for four things. It is profitable, number one, for what? Doctrine. So this book called the Bible is where you and I are going to get our sound what? Doctrine. If we are going to have doctrine at all, we had better have sound doctrine or somebody out there in the world is going to take what you and I teach apart and we aren't going to have a leg to stand on. As long as we get doctrine from this book called the Bible, you and I can rest assured that it is sound 
doctrine. The Bible goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And then it says for reproof. Now you tell me, give me some interaction here. What is reproof? Did somebody say correction? This is what I want to know. Why would it say, if reproof means correction, why would it say that the Bible, or all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, and for correction? Why would it say that twice in a row? This very same word reproof, if you and I were to travel in our Bibles all the way over to the book of Hebrews on the right-hand side of the T section of the New Testament, we would find Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence, if you back up into the T section in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that word over here in Hebrews 11.1 1, for evidence is the exact same word translated reproof. The word of God is good for doctrine, sound doctrine. The word of God is good for evidence. Then it says here the word of God is good for correction. How many of you like to be corrected? You like to be, you know, when I, when I teach uh, classes on how to study the Bible, when I say, how many of you like to be corrected? You know, the, the, the saints are in those classes because they're like, I do, I do. And, you know, you have, to, you have to coerce them to be honest with you because we do not like to be corrected, do we? Well, maybe at some points. It is good for correction. You and I can expect that as we study this book called the Bible, that we are going to be corrected. And when this book called the Bible corrects us, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we going to stand on sound doctrine? Or are we going to heap to ourselves speakers because we have itching ears? We need somebody to, to tickle our fancy. Tacitus Annals, Herodotus History, and Caesar's Gaelic Wars all stand with a gap of a thousand years between when they are written and when you and I, the document that is available to us. Research tells us that the document called the New Testament, written in approximately, the last book is written approximately A.D. 96. Guess how far into the future you and I have to travel to find the earliest manuscript AD approximately AD 125 and yet people will take this document this New Testament document and they will tear it up they will chew it up and they will spit it out and they will say it can't be accurate there has to be something wrong with that why because they do not want to endure sound doctrine Dear heart, you and I, when we open this book called the Bible, have in our very hands the Word of God. If you and I would take this book off of the shelf and read it and study it, it would transform our lives. Our lives would be so radically different. We wouldn't sit at an ASI. We would actually be somewhere else doing something. Praise the Lord, there is an ASI to sponsor what we are doing. Amen? These manuscripts, it's quite interesting. You know, people like numbers. Do you like numbers? 
But usually when I'm up front presenting, I don't do much with numbers because I usually get it wrong. And, uh, and so I have the math I do when I'm sitting at home in a desk. Then I have the math I do when I'm preaching. And, and everybody always corrects me when I'm preaching. So, you know, if you want to correct me, go ahead. It, it won't hurt. I, I leave uh, when you leave as well. So these ancient documents, Caesar's Gaelic Wars, has a whopping, waiting for this to, to turn here, has a whopping 10 manuscripts to back it up. So from written uh, a thousand years from when you and I have this earliest manuscript, the oldest manuscript, there are 10 documents to back up the validity of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. Herodotus' history has a whopping eight manuscripts to back its authenticity up. Tacitus' Annals has 20 manuscripts to back it up. The Greek New Testament? Anybody care to guess what the statistics tell us are the number of documents used to back up the Greek New Testament? 5,664 manuscripts back up the authenticity of the New Testament. Dear heart, this is not just another book. This book stands historically accurate far above any other document. If you and I were to add in the Latin, the Ethiopic, the Armenian, and the Slavic translations of the old manuscripts, we would have 24,000 manuscripts to back up the authenticity of what happened to our Savior Jesus Christ. 24,000 documents to back up what happens in the Gospels. 24,000 documents that you and I can compare one with another. Certainly they contradict each other. Certainly there's something there we can find a hole in. Dear heart, there are no holes in the Word of God. Now maybe, maybe there are some people that would say that there are holes in the Word of God. And maybe you and I should sit down together and say, where are those holes? Because... I want to see them if they're there. I have staked my life on what this book contains. If it is not accurate, then dear heart, I am done with Christianity. I don't know how it is with you. I don't know if you just go through the motions of Christianity. You just go to church because that's the day that you're supposed to go on because if you didn't, you'd get some phone calls. How is it in your life with this book called the Bible? The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They know it's sound. Don't mistake that. They know it's sound, but they will not endure it. They don't want to put up with it because when the Word of God corrects us, we get very uncomfortable. The Bible is truly the most historically sound book on this earth. It stands above all other books for it is the Word of God. The information that is in the Bible has been verified time and again. Please direct your attention to the screen as this begins to move. The campaign into Israel by Pharaoh Shishak recorded on the walls of the temple of Ammon Thebes in Thebes, Egypt. This is all confirmed by archaeology. The revolt of Moab against Israel recorded on the Misha inscription. 
All of this, archaeology, verifying the word of God. The fall of Samaria to Sargon II, king of Assyria, as recorded on his palace walls. Go argue with archaeology. Archaeology is in stone. It doesn't care what you say to it. The defeat of Ashdod by Sargon II, as recorded on his palace walls. All of this recorded in scripture, recorded in stone archaeology. Campaign of the Assyrian king Sennacherib against Judah, as recorded on the Taylor prism. And it just goes on. The siege of Lachish by Sennacherib, as recorded on the Lachish reliefs. Again and again, archaeology confirms what we already know to be true. The assassination of Sennacherib by his own sons as recorded in the annals of his son Eshar Sadan. The fall of Nineveh as predicted by the prophets Nahum and Zephaniah recorded on the tablet of Nabopolassar. Again and again, you and I are confirmed that this book is the word of God. The fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar our Daniel chapter 2 is confirmed by archaeology. The captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah in Babylon, as recorded in the Babylonian ration records. The fall of Babylon to the Medes and the Persians as recorded on the Cyrus Cylinder. Dear heart, you and I have a book that is confirmed. It's accurate. The existence of Jesus Christ as recorded by Josephus, Suetonius, Thallus, Pliny the Younger, the Talmud, and Lucian. This book called the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. And this iPad is not the inerrant Word of God. Our next graphic is going to show us an article from CNN dated in 2008. And if you look down at the bottom there, it says, quote, We can't believe everything ancient writings tell us, Levy said in a university statement, but this research represents a confluence between the archaeological and the scientific data and the Bible. H.L. Hastings says, quote, The hammers of the infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If the book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die and the book still lives. We don't just hold in our hands any book. We hold in our hands the Word of God. Bernard Ram asked rhetorically whether besides the Bible there has ever been a book on philosophy, religion, psychology, or any other subject that has been so chopped, knifed, sifted, scrutinized, vilified with such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition upon every chapter, line, and tenet. Ram concluded a thousand times over the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read. But somehow, the corpse never stays put. Considering the thorough learning of the critics and the ferocity and precision of the attacks, we would expect the Bible to have been 
permanently entombed in some Christian Geniza. But such is hardly the case. The Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. We don't just have in our hands any old book. You and I have the very Word of God. One of our favorite authors, and you will agree with this when you know who it is, said this, I take the Bible just as it is, as the inspired Word of God. I added the word. I believe it's utterances in an entire Bible. Men arise who think they can find something to criticize in God's Word. They lay it bare before others as evidence of their superior wisdom. These men are, many of them, smart men, learned men. They have eloquence and talent. The whole life work of whom is to unsettle minds in regard to the inspiration of Scriptures. They influence many to see as they do. And the same work is passed on from one to another, just as Satan designed it should be, until we may see the full meaning of the words of Christ. When the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? Dear heart, when Jesus comes, will he find faith in your heart? When Jesus comes, will he find you spending time in this book on a daily basis? You know, I don't know how busy your life is. We stay pretty busy down there in Lady Lake and Leesburg, Florida. And I told my wife the other day, I said, you know, this staying up late at night is killing me. I I can't get up early enough in the morning to study the Bible. So I got this brilliant idea. I thought to myself, before I go to sleep, I'll just study the Bible. Because I couldn't do it on one end of the day, did not prevent me from doing it on the other end of the day. Dear heart, we have no excuse whatsoever in our lives for taking this book, tossing it to the side, and living our lives over here. You and I are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. If we were to go back in time and somebody, you would say to somebody, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, they would say, you are the people of the book. You are the people that know the book. You know, I, I have a lot of fun pastoring in the Florida conference. I praise the Lord for our conference president and our administration because we have lots of fun there sharing the gospel. In the last uh, three or four months, people have come to church, knocked on the door of the church, or called us and said, I want to know more about the Sabbath. Can you study with me? By the grace of God, everyone that has come to church that's knocked on the door or called and said, I want to know more about the Sabbath is a Seventh-day Adventist. Dear heart, the doctrine that God has given to us in this book called the Bible is sound doctrine. What I want to know is why don't we enjoy sound doctrine? What is it in our own lives that prevents us from enjoying the study of this book? Some people's... one of. I was about to tell you who it was, so I had to stutter to stop myself. You understand? It's like putting on the brakes and stopping. A close friend of mine, how about that, once said to me, Bible study is boring. I was was in my office. They were talking to me in my office. I had a Bible in my hand. And uh, I like to be real with people, so please don't get offended when I tell you that I took my Bible and I tossed it across the room straight at the chest. I caught it. I said, open that book. 
turn to this verse, turn to this verse, turn to this verse. Dear heart, did you know, did you know that in Daniel chapter 2 that you can find allowance for the millennium in Daniel chapter 2? Did you know that it's in there? Did you know that we were told by the servant of the Lord that Adam and Eve were clothed with a garment of light? Did you know that you can prove that from this book called the Bible? It's in there. And are some of your interests being piqued now? Bible study should be exciting, and it should be fun. You and I should be finding out new things every day. Have you ever spent time with a friend, and, um, you know, you, you spend all day with them, and then when you, you go home, maybe your parents are there, maybe your spouse is there, and they say, so, so what'd you do? What, nothing? What'd you talk about? Nothing, really. Well, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, I mean, I was hanging out with my friend. Then there's some times when you come home, and you're like, guess what happened today? Just because you hang out with your friend and you can't tell anybody else something exciting that happened with your friend, do you stop hanging out with them? then why would we stop hanging out? I'm sorry I'm using language of, of, of uh, hanging out. You know, what, what do we do? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm anyway. I'm not quite sure what language to use. Hanging out is what I'm using. My friends, you and I need to be hanging out with Jesus Christ. We need to be spending time in this book. When somebody asks us a question about this book, if you and I don't know the answer, we should be looking for the answer. Don't call your pastor and ask him for the answer. Call God and say, what's the answer? Because when you find the answer, it sticks. It's like ragu. It's in there. Let's go now back to our screen. The Bible, it is a lamp that not only dispels the clouds of darkness in our world and doubt in our lives, but the Bible also helps us to escape dangers and to see our way clearly in life. It goes on to say in 2 Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, if you and I were to jump backwards in 2 Peter chapter 1, from verse 19 all the way back to verse 16, you would see it says that uh, Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And so in 16, he says they were eyewitnesses. And you get to verse 19, and let's go back to what we saw on the screen. In verse 19, it says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Answer me, more sure than what? An eyewitness. Prophecy is more sure than an eyewitness. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The Bible. As bread and food feeds the hungry and provides nourishment for their spiritual growth. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he, let's back up one. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says this. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth 
of God. Let's go on. As a mirror, it makes us see ourselves as we really are so that we can be changed into the perfect mirror image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 reads, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As water, the Word of God has a cleansing and transforming power. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewith all shall a young man cleanse his way? And the Bible echoes the answer by taking heed thereto according to thy word. As fire, the Bible melts all the alloys of sin in our life. It says here in Psalm 39 and verse 3, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Dear heart, this issue of evangelism or not evangelism. How do I share with somebody in the marketplace or not share with somebody in the marketplace? If you are bubbling over with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is going to bubble out and on to other people. You know, one of the things that, that we do in our ministry down in Lady Lake is we go out to eat. How many of you ever go out to eat? Anybody goes out to eat? We go out to eat. We go to a restaurant. It's called Flippers. They're not paying me any, any uh, kickback for advertising for them right now. We go to this pizza joint called Flippers. Chris is in Flippers. Richie is in Flippers. Lydia is in Flippers. Mike is in flippers. Gary is in flippers. All of them know that we are a pastoral family. Richie has been to church. Matt, who no longer works there, came to church. Everything we do in our lives is done for the purpose of drawing someone into a relationship with the God of this book called the Bible. Let's go back to our screen. As a hammer, the Bible can break hardened hearts in ways that no human method can ever hope to do. As a sword, it can pierce the conscience, wound our pride, and slay our rebellious spirit. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you really want to know who you are, dear friend, all you need to do is open this book called the Bible, and it will discern your motives. God will tell you whether you are doing something for the right motive or not. It is amazing that you and I don't open the Bible and just say, okay, what does God have for me today? Some of us do that. It's not the recommended way to study. It seems that no matter where we are in this book, we always find something very applicable to our very own situation. It is almost as if God wrote that passage just for me. Does this happen to you when you are studying the Bible? Let's go now back to our screen. As a seed, it produces fruit in life. As a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it teaches us not to criticize and judge the Bible, but rather to submit to its teachings. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew's going to be the first book of the New Testament. Now, some of you are saying, hey, listen, I've been studying the Bible all my life, and you're going to tell me where the New Testament is? When you share the Word of God with somebody else, you better help them know where they're supposed to go. Because if they don't know where they're supposed to go in the Bible, how do you expect them to get joy out of reading their book rather than just listening to you read from your book? Always make sure people are there. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want everybody to, I want you to breathe deep through your nose, and then I want you to exhale through your mouth. There's probably, there's a good reason for exhaling through your mouth, not your nose. But we're not going to talk about that. So we're going to do a little exercise here, okay? So you breathe in your nose and out your mouth. Is heaven still here? Is it? Well, let's breathe again just to make sure we know whether it's here or not. Everybody do this. Is heaven still here? The question so confusing? Can you breathe? The answer to can you breathe is the very same answer to is heaven still here? Okay? So can you breathe? Is heaven still here? Hallelujah. So Jesus said until heaven and earth pass. Everybody take your right foot or your left foot, depending on which one won't hurt if you slam it on the floor and stomp. Is the earth still here? then according to Jesus Christ, one jot or one tittle has not passed from this book called the Bible. Let's go back now to our screen. And 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn to the right from where you are. You are in Matthew, so you're going this direction in Scripture. We are going to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Now, 1 Peter is going to be after the T section. It's going to be after Hebrews. 1 Peter chapter 1 and the 23rd verse says this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 reads, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, what is the active agent by which men and women are born again? It is the word of God. You leave this word of God out of your life, and you have left God out of your life. You and I are not living in a place where the Bible is not abundantly available to us. The Jesus said, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The earth is here. Heaven is still here. The Bible is still valid today. Yet the Bible tells us about an entity that wants to destroy God's time, and God's laws. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says exactly that. And then in Revelation chapter 12 verse 3, 4, and 9, you and I see who this entity is that wants to destroy God's word. Let's go to Revelation the 12th chapter. Of course, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, 
great, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Verse 4 says, and his tail. Now, we just read a verse about a dragon, and then it said, and his tail. So who does the his refer to? It refers right back to the dragon in verse 3. And his tail, the dragon's tail, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. You and I know, because we studied this passage numerous times, that this is referring to the birth of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 12, 9 tells us that the dragon is who? Satan, it says there in Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, dear heart, this is what we know. There's an entity that wants to change God's time and God's law, Daniel 7, 25. Here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, 4, and 9, we find out that that is Satan that wants to change God's time and God's law. And before you hang me, I know there's an entity Satan works through, so we're not getting there tonight. Satan says the opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus says, while heaven and earth are still here, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And Satan says, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to take you out with my tail. T-A-I-L. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 15. Isaiah the ninth chapter, the 15th verse. So find the book of Psalms. Once you get to the book of Psalms, you're going to go to the right in your Bible, and you're going to go past uh, Isaiah well, you're not going to go past Isaiah because that's what we need, right? If you get to Jeremiah, you've gone a little too far. We are going to Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and the 15th verse. Isaiah, chapter 9, and verse 15. Is that what I want? It is Isaiah 9, verse 15. Notice what it says here. But first of all, let me tell you where we just were. Daniel seven twenty-five. there's an entity that wants to change God's time and God's law. Revelation 12, 3, 4, and 9 tells us that Satan is behind the entity that wants to change God's time and God's law. And how did Satan get a third of the unfallen angels, the stars of heaven, to fall with him? The Bible says that he used his what? He used his tail. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 15. It says, the ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he is the Dear heart, Satan, even in what you and I know to be the remnant church of Bible prophecy, Satan is working hard to tell lies about the sound doctrine of this book called the Bible. This book that men chew up, spit out, stomp on, try to burn it, try to get rid of it, but the book endures even longer than a blacksmith's anvil. This book called the Bible should be our key focus because Jesus Christ is coming back very, very soon. Jesus says that the truth will never change. Satan says that the truth will change. Let's go now back to our screen. I think we're going to go to 1 John or John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 14 is where we're going. John chapter 14 and verse 6. 
Notice what Jesus says here in John 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, John the 14th chapter and the 6th verse. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Dear heart, this book called the Bible reveals to us Jesus Christ. I was sitting at uh, my desk one day, and my little girl Samantha, who's here with me this weekend, she came into the office and she said, Papa, what are you doing? I said, I'm spending time with Jesus. And of course, I was reading this book called the Bible, and she said, Papa, that's a book. That's not a person. And I said, well, you know, Samantha, let me read some things to you. And I took her to John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then verse 14, where the Word becomes flesh. And then I showed her where Jesus is the Word that became flesh. And she says, wow, so when you read the Bible, you're spending time with Jesus? Four years old. Ever since that day, my daughter gets up, opens her Bible. We don't even have to tell her, open your Bible. He does it. She's 11 years old now. I praise Jesus for the power of this book called the Bible. Let's go back to our screen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is how it is recorded in the book of Acts. Turn to the right from the book of John. Then you have the book of Acts, and we are going to Acts, the fourth chapter, and the tenth verse. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. This is what is said here. Acts 4, verse 10 says, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Dear heart, you and I take this book called the Bible and we cast it to the side and we will be lost. In its prophetic eye, the Word of God said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. We have a book that is unquestioningly, historically, I know the L.Y. thing shouldn't go two together, but I like the way it sounds. We have a document in our hands that should be believed rather than questioned. God does say in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God is reasonable. God will reason with us. We just must always remember that God will always win in that discussion. Our very last quote this evening. The Desire of Ages, page 535 says, Skepticism and unbelief are not humility. Implicit belief in Christ's word is true humility. True self-surrender. Is it your desire this evening, when you pick up this book called the Bible, to pick it up and treasure it in a way that truly, affects the way. Is that your desire? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.